This week on the Scarecast. I'd been gone only 15 minutes when I got back, and surprisingly, he was already gone. If it was a rare case to be documented, she would never let a doctor take pictures of her four-year-old daughter's private parts. Meanwhile, the lady is constantly ringing my door. My roommate is not picking up, and my friend is just telling me to open the door. It was to great discomfort that we both asked a question. Who had really been living in our house this last week? I'm an 18-year-old female living in a small town in Michigan. When this incident took place, I had been working a few hours a week in a small pizzeria. It was in my town, and I had been working there for about a year when my boss decided to go on vacation. She and her family lived in an apartment below the restaurant, and two other apartments were overhead. In order to get into these apartments, you had to go to the back of the building and down a sketchy set of stairs where you would find her door and the stairs leading up to the apartments above. Beyond that, there is a yard and then some woods. I think it's important to mention that there was absolutely no reason to be behind the restaurant unless you were trying to enter the apartments. Now... I usually worked with my mom because we got stuff done easily and I hate answering phones. One night, my mom was feeling ill, so I had to work with another lady. She's very sweet, but not super efficient, so I was working hard to keep up and getting a bit agitated when she told me that we needed Parmesan. I agreed to go get it from the store just down the road if she promised to not make me answer phones for the rest of our shift. There was only about two hours left, which were normally pretty slow, so I guess it didn't matter that much anyway. As I was getting in my SUV, I saw a guy pull up in the small parking lot with a beat-up car and park near the back. He was lanky and wearing oil-stained shop clothes, which was and still is totally normal around here. He got out and retrieved the bag from his trunk and headed down the slope. I know this guy wasn't a renter because I'd never seen him before and the renters frequently ordered pizza. It was possible that he was a friend of one of the renters, but that didn't seem right. It was 9.30 at night and one renter was a single mom, and the others were two brothers with mental health issues that were pretty antisocial. 
I was getting bad vibes, so I grabbed my knife from the center console and tucked it up my sleeve. Call me paranoid, but there had been a lot of car fires and break-ins around that time, so I was nervous to go anywhere unarmed. It might have been a stupid thing to do, but I considered my boss a friend and didn't want this guy to hurt any of the renters or steal from any of the apartments. I decided to go see what he was doing, just in case he had any ill intentions. I got out of my car and walked quietly to the slope. There was motion-activated lights, so I could easily see what he was doing. He was fiddling with an old key ring and trying to get into my boss's apartment. What are you doing? I asked loudly so that my coworker could hopefully hear me through the open back door. He was startled, but smiled and told me he worked for my boss's husband and was there to feed the dog and let it out. My boss did have a dog and her husband did own a fabrication shop, so his story seemed to check out, but I was still not convinced. I decided to go get the cheese and check again when I get back. Okay, uh, let me know if you need help with anything. I tried to sound normal as possible, but I was seriously creeped out. I'd been gone only 15 minutes when I got back, and surprisingly, He was already gone. I was still feeling suspicious and bad for the dog who'd been shut in for a good portion of the day. So I decided to text my boss when I got out of work. Fast forward two hours and I was on my way home. I got to my door when I decided to check Facebook. As I was scrolling, I saw something that made my stomach drop. It was a picture of my boss with her dog on the beach from earlier that day. I called my boss and then the police to make a report. It turned out that the guy had been fired by my boss's husband earlier that week for making an inappropriate comment about his 19-year-old daughter and repeatedly harassing other female staff. This guy had planned some sort of revenge scheme, but didn't know they had left for vacation. His bag was full of tools and a couple of knives. During questioning, he told them that the only reason he left was because he thought I was watching him. Thankfully, he went to jail for that and a couple of other things he had been wanted for previously. This still creeps me out to this day, and I hate to think what would have happened if they had been home. I was four years old when this happened, and only remember parts of it, so I had my mom tell me the full story now that I'm older. When I was younger, we would go stay at my aunt's house when my family visited my mom's hometown. They had a lab, and we had only ever had a hypoallergenic dog. I got a rash from it, 
and oddly, it spread to my you-know-what part down there. My mom says it's because I was a kid and probably wasn't washing my hands, then going to the bathroom with whatever I was allergic to still on my hands. Dog hair, I guess, or possibly dandruff. My mom took me to a dermatologist right when I got home because it had not gone away. Neither of my parents used a dermatologist, so they asked friends for a recommendation. My mom is a doctor, so she did do her due diligence by looking the guy up before taking me to him, and he seemed to have a good reputation. When we met him, he checked over everything and said it wasn't much to be worried about and gave me a steroid for it. He then asked my mom, if he would be able to take pictures of the rash to document it for research. Now, my mom being a doctor is pretty okay with using cases for research. I know this because I am used for a research study since I had a certain hip surgery at a young age. But she felt like this was off. She said she really didn't think of him asking in a creepy way. But she said regardless... If it was a rare case to be documented, she would never let a doctor take pictures of her four-year-old daughter's private parts. But she said that the biggest red flag was that he had just said it was a common thing and not to worry about it. My mom being in medicine knows this means that there is extensive research on it and a picture of a common rash did not make sense. She forgot about it and obviously didn't take me back. She told her friends that recommended him about it, but we all kind of forgot about it. That was until we saw him on the news. He was arrested at the America-Canada border and was found in possession of more than 200 pictures and videos of child pornography. So thank you, Mom, for not always putting your trust in doctors people who we should put our trust in. The article of what we saw in the news is also in the description of this podcast episode. Also, here's an update. I was just on the phone talking about this with my mom, and she had an even more insane part to the story. He is practicing again in the same office. My mom has called multiple times, and every time... The receptionist says he is on vacation. How in the hell would the Board of Medicine give him his fucking license back? For six months last year, I lived in the north of Spain. About a week before I was going to move back to Ireland, my friend and I were at my house having dinner and drinking a little. That night, my roommate left to go have dinner with her friends. About a minute after she left, someone buzzed our door to be let into the building. I looked at the camera and didn't recognize the woman. She looked to be in her late 20s to early 30s so I just assumed it was one of my roommate's friends 
and she was coming to meet her, or something like that. I buzzed her into the building, assuming they would meet in the lobby. At first I didn't buzz her in, because I didn't recognize her, and she walked away from the door. But then I hit the buzzer as soon as she walked away, and then I, myself, walked away from the camera, meaning I couldn't see if she actually entered or not. Assuming that if she didn't enter, she would just call or text my roommate. Boy, was I wrong. This woman came up to my apartment building on the sixth floor. She came up just two minutes after my roommate left. So I know she didn't take the stairs, and I know they must have seen each other when my roommate got off the lift and the lady got on. Realizing that this is weird, I do not open the door when she rings it. I look through the peephole just to confirm that it was nobody I knew. At this point, I back away from the door and gesture for my friend to be silent. We creep back to my room, which is at the far side of the apartment, and begin calling my roommate, who isn't picking up. Meanwhile, the lady is constantly ringing my door. My roommate is not picking up, and my friend is just telling me to open the door. In her mind, it's a woman, so she must be harmless. I tell her, She's an idiot for underestimating the female sex. Women can be criminals too. She keeps telling me to open the door, and I refuse. The door keeps ringing. I keep looking out the peephole. At this point, I understand that if she knew my roommate or was looking for someone specific, she would just call or text them. She didn't take out a phone at all. She just stayed eerily silent, didn't call out any names or ask if anyone was home. This was weird to me. I finally get through to my roommate. She says she wasn't expecting anyone and that she doesn't know anyone in that age range. She asks if I'm okay and I say I'm fine. Now it's been at least 20 minutes. I know the lady knows someone is home because the lights are on and my understanding is that's why she's not leaving. I continue watching her through the peephole and see her go into the lift for a minute and then come back out again. The lift is really loud and I would have heard it move. It didn't. She just went in and came out. In my mind... This means someone is in the lift waiting for her. This screams sketchy to me. After about 40 minutes, she finally leaves. I run to our hall and flick on the outside camera. The lady left the building with two men. They all had backpacks on. I will be eternally grateful for trusting my instincts and not listening to my friend. Sometimes it's better to be safe than sorry. Creepy lady with henchmen, let's not meet again.
So, back in 2007, I found myself working as a bartender at a now closed pub in my hometown. Not a job I really liked, but it paid the bills. At this time, they had hired a new kitchen manager that we all simply knew as Kearney. Kearney was a pleasant enough man, mostly keeping to himself, but always stayed late to help the barman do our closing duties, so we all liked him for that. New in town, Kearney had yet to find a place of permanent residence, and I had recently lost my tenants, so someone suggested he ask me. He was considerably older than the tenants I usually took in, but having had a streak of bad luck with tenants my own age, I thought an older man with a nice steady job may be a shift in the right direction, so I agreed. Kearney wasted no time and followed me home that very same night, only he wasn't alone. Enter Lawrence, the boyfriend of Kearney. Honestly, I hadn't even realized he was gay up to that point, but was water off my back regardless. Looking back now, what really should have bothered me though was Lawrence's appearance. He looked like he had been sleeping on the street, rather appropriately as I would later find out. So, Kearney moved in, and Lawrence was there a lot too, and it was easy to know when, due to his mobile ringtone sounding like the quacking of a duckling. Kearney had some habits that were rather noteworthy to the story. In particular, number one, he basically never closed his bedroom door, no matter what he was doing in there. It always was open. And number two, although he was a very heavy smoker, he never once smoked inside the house. So, Kearney had been living there for about two weeks when I had come down with an awful case of pink eye. This being highly contagious, I was given leave of absence from my bartending job and therefore decided to go wait it out at my sister's for a few days. Apparently, I didn't mind giving it to her. So, the day my sister was scheduled to come pick me up, I took a casual stroll into the bar that myself and Ben my good friend from high school, and at the time co-worker, had been building in my house, and something caught my eye. All of our liquor bottles were completely empty. Now those who had been frequenting my house at the time would know that we weren't just talking about one or two bottles of brandy here, but bottles of whiskey, gin, vodka, liquors, basically it was a fully stocked bar that could host a pretty big party without requiring much in the way of additions. So I called Kearney in, asking him if he knew about this, receiving feedback that Lawrence and he had been on a slight drinking binge that had left me both furious about the thousands of dollars worth of stock they had drunk out, but also slightly impressed that he was actually still alive. Regardless, I said that I would be dealing with this upon my return. So I'm with my sister for a few days, and on Friday, I get a call from my local police department asking if I know a Conrad Schultz. Ironically enough, I didn't. They finally add that I will probably know him as Kearney, 
and I should probably come down to the station. As they had just arrested his boyfriend, trying to sell my camera equipment. It's on this visit that I'm informed that Lawrence was actually a Navy SEAL who got dishonorably discharged before turning to a life of crime and now had a rap sheet the length of the Bible. The kicker was that both he and Kearney were actually homeless men who had met at the Salvation Army. So Lawrence is in jail and my sister drops me off at home, more or less the same time that Kearney gets home as well. Based on Kearney's account of what had happened, he had turned Lawrence in himself, as he couldn't allow Lawrence to do to me what he was trying to do. Although I had appreciated his sacrifice, I still told Kearney that he would have to go, having been the overall cause of all this. However, not wanting to leave the homeless man, well, homeless, I gave him until the end of the month to make other arrangements. So Monday comes, and having just completed a staff meeting, I walk home to encounter a very much free Lawrence sitting on the sidewalk across my house, watching it. I confront Lawrence as to why he's there, and he tries to apologize before begging for money. Rather out of character, really, I dismiss him without giving him a cent. Now I go back to the previous night. I had mentioned the staff meeting for a reason, as it was at that meeting where we had gotten a rather sizable list of liquor bottles that had gone missing from the storeroom, leaving us all suspecting each other. I, however, would not have to wait too long to figure out who the real culprit was as a few days later, I opened the garbage bin in my kitchen to see the missing bottles, all empty and staring back at me. I decided to sit on this information for the time being, although I did photograph it just in case I needed as evidence later. I had also called over Ben to inform him of the developments. As this was quickly becoming a detective game, we decided to enter Kearney's room to search for further evidence. Nothing of vast significance in there, with one exception. Two single photographs of Lawrence before he had turned into the homeless version of Lex Luthor or Charles Xavier. Actually, there were several of Lawrence's things still there, but as Lawrence had spent a lot of time there before the incident, I accepted this as normal. Now I should also add that I mentioned Lawrence's release to Kearney and had told him that if I even suspected that they were still seeing each other, I would throw him out of the house myself. Only a few days would pass before this came into play. On this particular night, I had been bartending again and Kearney had constantly been stopping by the bar to help himself to a few glasses, half full of wine and half full of coke, which he would go drink outside the restaurant. We confronted him about this, but as he correctly pointed out, he was still a manager and we had no right to tell him what he could or could not do. On his fourth trip, however, I had grown suspicious and decided to follow him outside. 
where I encountered Lawrence sitting outside, sharing the half-coke, half-wine concoctions with Kearney. This pissed me off. So the next day, I returned to the restaurant with my photographic evidence that I handed over to the general manager, who was also kind of a friend of mine. Although I hadn't physically seen it, I had heard the confrontation through the office door when he fired Kearney. Kearney left, obviously upset, and apparently had no idea that I had been the one who had turned him in. So he had closed early that night, and I was walking home. Going past the high school, I saw Kearney coming from the opposite direction. He walked past me, literally only saying two words, I'm scared, before disappearing into the darkness. That would be the last time that I would ever physically lay my eyes on Conrad Schultz. So we reached the final week before Kearney's eviction was to take place. Ben had come to stay with me for that duration, as we both wanted to monitor the situation and make sure that nothing else happens. It was in this week that Kearney's behavior suddenly changed. He was constantly smoking in his room, and his door was closed 24-7. In fact, neither Ben nor I had caught so much as a peek of him in that entire last week, which we hadn't thought much of at the time. So the day of Kearney's eviction comes around. Ben had gone home for a few hours, and I finally hear Kearney's bedroom door open. Someone walks out of the room, opens the front door, and leaves. I follow him outside, but somehow he had already completely disappeared. What was left though was his house keys, indicating that he obviously wasn't planning to come back. I took a look at the keys, noticing something strange. Although the correct keys were all on the keychain, there were also several that weren't mine. Why would he leave me the wrong keys? His room was a shock. Not because of the state it was in, but more that he had literally left almost all of his belongings behind, with one exception. You guessed it, the two photos of Lawrence. Upon further investigation, I suddenly realized that all traces of Lawrence ever being there had completely vanished with all of Kearney's stuff left behind. There was only one thing of Lawrence left behind though, his duckling ringtone, which it turned out hadn't been so much a ringtone as an actual duckling, which now strolled around casually in the vacant bedroom. We named him Neville. So Ben returns and gets updated about the developments. Both of us thinking the way he left was rather weird. Of course, the whole thing had been weird. It was only when I asked an infamous question that this all became a conspiracy theory. Did you ever actually see Kearney in this last week? It was to our shock that we realized that neither of us had. 
suddenly putting puzzle pieces together. The changing habits, Neville the duck, the wrong keys, only Lawrence's stuff being gone. It was to great discomfort that we both asked a question. Who had really been living in our house this last week? During the next few days, Ben and I went on a mission, searching the town, crawling into drain pipes, trying to find any trace of Kearney's whereabouts, but they all added up to nothing. Conrad Schultz had simply vanished off the face of the earth. That wasn't the case with Lawrence, though. He was still around, having made some new homeless friends. We encountered him several times, begging on the streets. I asked him every time, Where's Kearney, Lawrence? But he just acted like he had never heard of him. The last time I would see Lawrence was across from work, attempting to break into a car. I had called the police on him, and they had arrived rather quickly, arresting him on the spot. While he was being led away by the police, I shouted after him one last time, Where's Kearney, Lawrence? But he just ignored me and let the cops drag him away. The next day, I filed a police report, reporting Kearney as a missing person and suggesting Lawrence may know something about it. But nothing ever came of it. So Lawrence, I don't know if you did something to Kearney or not, but if you did, let's not meet again.